I want to do something right now that sets up the next series, and it has nothing to do with this series, okay? It has nothing to do. But I want to give you a challenge. This, this month is going to be just, let's go to the next level in connection with Christ. And uh, next month, we're going to do a series that I've been wanting to do for a while, and it's on the mystery of tithing. We're going to call it the tipping point, because there is a tipping point in your journey, and that's when you go from tipping God to tithing to God. And, and there's just, it's a radical stewardship of, of your time, talent, and treasure, what I call your minutes, your mojo, and your moolah. When you do that, there's something that tips in your, in your journey. I, I can't explain it. Now, when we start talking about this, many of you get uncomfortable because we've heard health and wealth gospel preachers abuse this principle of the mystery of the God-ordained idea of the tithe. And so we've all heard, you know, preachers say, God will turn your cataract into a Cadillac if you start tithing to him, you know, all that. So, so we're reticent. I want you to invite your friends to this because if you want a way that I've experienced in my life that, that destroys the seeds of atheism in your life, it's an amazing way to do it because you start seeing that when you put God in charge of the stewardship of your minutes, your mojo, and your moolah, and you start saying, God, you're in charge of this, and it's a radical uh, distribution of resources if you're tithing, uh, you start seeing movements where you go, something's up. I'm, I'm telling you, you're sitting near someone who could tell you a story or two of this because this church has run on people who have done this. They've been in this venture. So if you're ready to do that today, and trust me, I know some of you are not because you know, wait a minute, you know, we're tithing to Visa and MasterCard right now. We can't tithe to God. I get that. We're going to show you resources and how you can work your way out of that tithe into the freedom of a God tithe. But those of you who say, you know what? I needed this today. I've, been, I've needed this prompting. We can do this. I want you to start the adventure of that right now. Like, I want you to start that because I want to tell your story in September. Because uh, I've just seen this. It's just a weird thing. You start going, Twilight Zone? What's going on here? Of where, how God works when we say, I'm serious about this. The way Jesus put it is, is if you, you, know, you lay up treasure in heaven. And when you do that, God goes to work. And so right now, we're, you can do that electronically. You can begin that journey of the tipping point in your life. Uh, you can do it out at the welcome counter if you want to do it physically with, with real checks and cash and stuff like that. But for those of you who are sitting at home right now in your, you know, your pink bunny pajamas watching this, you can do it right there. And you begin this journey. Because you know what? I needed this challenge. I can do it. And we want you to do that because there's nothing that will liberate you like this this statement of saying, I'm going to tip things in the favor of a radical commitment to God. That's what this series is about as we begin today to talk about the power of night. And the question we're asking today is, is it really getting darker? Now, I know some of us answer that with an emphatic yes, because we look at it merely from really how the media drives reality. Um, And I think sometimes we have to be careful with that, right? We have to be careful with that. If you struggle with the anxiety that media creates in all of us, because that's what creates eyeballs, that's what creates readers, is this spectacular, dire circumstances, I advise you to read the book Factfulness, which will show you that in many, many ways, your world is actually safer than it's ever been. And we go, well, no, no, that can't be, because you read the papers and you follow people on Twitter, that can't be. Yeah, actually, it is. However... 
I do think there are some ways in which our world is, and particularly our country, is on a very darkened path. I was thinking this week, what's one thing, what's one anecdote I could share where, where like this week, just this week I read it and went, oh man, this is dark. This is like, oh my, if I doubted that every single one of our lives mattered to bring light into this world, just reading a, a little thing like this left no doubt. So if you want truth, go to the Babylon Bee. The Babylon Bee is a satire site, and it just pokes fun at both sides, and I love it how it just, it just has, there's no respecter of persons when it comes to targets. Uh, it just, it, it's satire. But it's gotten the attention of places like CNN who say, you know, they're doing bad things. It's jo- they're, they're joking, but they tell the truth. So because they got in trouble, they started a site called Not the Bee. It's them, but it's Not the Bee. And, and this week, they had a posting. Here it is, the worst tweet of the day. And I would be in agreement with not the bee that this was the worst tweet of the day. And then by an individual who said, someone needs to create porn for children. Hear me out. Young teens are already watching porn, but they're finding hardcore, aggressive videos that give a terrible view of sex. They need entry-level porn. A softcore site where everyone asks for consent and no one gets messed up. And like the, it's not the bee put as a tag to that. What the heck is wrong with people? And I would disagree with that. I would say, what the hell is wrong with people? <laughs> would you? I mean, you look at that and you go, like I read that. And my first thought was, someone needs to create heroin for children. Every kid's going to use drugs at some point. Let's create heroin that makes it safe for kids to use drugs. I mean, what is wrong with people? And you read that and you go, man, are we messed up? We're messed up that there is this, this darkening that can happen just like that. Well, this series is about you. It's about you impact that reality. You impact whether your world gets darker or whether it gets brighter. You see, the default setting of the world is what Genesis talks about. Remember the entry-level words to the scriptures when it says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the depths. Darkness. The default setting of the world it's really an interesting thing because it's not light, it's darkness. As a matter of fact, now we know neuroscientifically, psychologically, do you know the default setting on the human brain is not light, bright, good things? The default setting of the human brain is darkness and chaos. Like you just let your brain go, it doesn't get lighter and brighter. It gets darker and more chaotic. Anybody ever had funky dreams where you just went, whoa, what's wrong with me that I had that dream? And that's because the, the default setting of the human brain is the same thing as the world. And so the, this Genesis, in, it just introduces this reality. Darkness is the, is the default setting. And then Genesis 1-3 says this. says, the Spirit of God, though, was close by, hovering over the waters. And God said, what did he say? Let there be light. And there was light. Genesis 1-1-3 is your story. The default setting of our lives is we don't enter a world, we don't enter a reality that is just light bright all the time. We may have inferences of that, but if you just let your brain go, you will trend toward darkness. 
And God is always saying in your life, let there be light. Let the light in. Let the light in. And that's what this series is about. It's about us connecting with Christ at a level where the, the, the byproduct of our lives is not us. It's the light that is within us. Matter of fact, many of us are old enough to remember a movie that every time I read this principle that we're going to teach on this month, I think of this little character called E.T. Remember E.T.? Yeah, I, uh, I remember there was always to be an old joke. I, I, when E.T. had come out, we were in Kentucky. And in Kentucky, for all you U.K. fans, you'll love this. There was an old joke U.K. fans used to, used to talk about where that E.T. had a brother who flunked out of high school. His name was U.T. I was always thinking that when I think of E.T. But do you remember the picture of E.T.? What was the picture of E.T.? Is he had this light within him. And then when he would touch someone else, what happened? There was this transmission of light. And it's this, this simple little image is really capturing the story of your life and mine. And that God wants to say, let this light of mine shine within you and then I'll use you in a way that you never would have guessed. Now, all throughout scripture, we're given this, this picture of light and night. And so look at these words here. Jesus, on the night he was arrested, every day I was with you in the temple course, you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, he says to his, his tormentors, when darkness reigns. Now this is, this is an inference back to Genesis 1, 1 to 3, in which the default setting of this world is darkness. It is night. It is night. And there are times when it feels like, as it did on the night Jesus was betrayed, when night was winning. When night was winning. Or look at these words. These are prophetic words that carry a metaphorical symbolism, not just a chronological report. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. What did he go out to do? To betray Jesus. And John says, and it was night. He wasn't just saying, hey, it was 10 o'clock. What he was saying is, is it was night in Judas's heart. And I want you to really listen, gang, because our church is made up of a lot of people that you think that your destiny is darkness and night, and it's not. Because you've experienced those times where it was night. It may have been depression, it may have been drug abuse, it may have been isolation, it may have been compulsive behaviors, it may have been just anger. That's what it was for me. When I was 21 years of age, I came into the light. Why? Because I was just so angry. And it was night. And I'm here to tell you today, if you want it to be, your destiny is not night. It's light. It's that, that, that there is a God who is speaking Genesis 1-3 into your life. Let there be light. We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, Jesus once said, working while the sun shines. Jesus put an, an urgency to this message. He said, when the night falls, workday's over. Workday's over. There's gonna come a time when game over. But as long as I'm in the world, there's plenty of light and I'm the world's light. So he's looking at his followers and he's saying, let me put an urgency to this, that there is a time constraint and the solution to the, some of the things, when you hear a tweet like that and you say, what is wrong with people? It is so easy to sit back and just curse the darkness. And that's not our calling. Our calling as followers of Christ is to connect with the light of the world. That's our calling. And then we go out and we say, 
Let me touch you, world. And in this series, we're going to show you how to do that. We're going to show you how you can be that person. It's not you. It's not you. I'm going to tell some stories that I don't want. It's not because I'm the hero. I know there's real danger when preachers tell stories and they're the hero of their own story. I know that. But it, it, it's, it's because Christ will do this in your life and it's not you. It's not you. I often told my kids, you know me A.D. You didn't know me B.C. I was a dark, angry kid. And so when I tell stories about what Christ has done in my life, it's to follow this reality. It's not because I'm the hero of my own story. He's the hero. And you'll see why that's important. You see, we know that our mission at this church is to connect people to Christ, not religion. Right? Everybody knows that. We know. I mean, I remember we introduced that wording a few years ago. It, It was like our whole church went, oh, my gosh, that's it. That's it. It's not, we're not trying to make a bunch of religious people who know Leviticus. It's good to know Leviticus. But it's really, it's about people who are so connected to the light of the world that they just impact their world. They disseminate darkness. That's what light does. It disseminates darkness. You don't curse darkness. You light a candle. You plug in a light. And the darkness disseminates and disintegrates. And this is our mission. Do you know how you know you're a Southbrookite? Do you know how you know you're one? We don't have a formal membership. Those of you who know you, you don't know that, but we don't. There are reasons for that. Usually membership is worth the paper it's printed on. The reason for that is because we want to be very clear on what makes you a Southbrookite. What makes you a Southbrookite is when it's my mission. is to connect people to Christ, not religion. That's that, when you cross that line, when you say, I'm going to connect my life to Christ, and then my life is going to be in my occupation, in my profession, in my neighborhood, in my school, uh, on the athletic field, wherever it is, my job is to be a light agent to my world. We're not going to change the world. I have no desire to change the world. I want us to change our environments. That's it. That's, that's, that, that, because that's the calling. That's the calling. And you know, there are Canaanites and Ammonites and, and there are megabytes and electrolytes in the Bible, I think. You're a Southbrookite when you say, it's my calling. It's my mission. I'm not going to curse the darkness. I'm going to be a light. And this takes courage. This takes connection because where the kingdom of heaven is present, comes light, and the darkness does not want this to happen. Here's what happens when the kingdom of light is shown into an environment. Sins are forgiven. Shame is eliminated. We'll see why that's critical here at the end. Souls are freed. Addictions are overcome. Meaning and purpose are discovered. Forgiveness and reconciliation become normative. Genders, races, and ethnicities are united. Marriages are restored. The poor are clothed and fed. The innocent and helpless are protected. Does anybody by chance want to be a part of a movement where that stuff's happening? Like, do you want to be a part of a movement where that's happening? Well, the, the night doesn't want that to happen. The night doesn't want that to happen. And so it takes great connection for it to be one of those things where through me, through my life, this agency of light transmission is taking place. Who would have thought? Who would have thought this would happen? But it can. And a really interesting deal on this is that Jesus said, this is my plan. 
He looked, at his, he looked at his followers one time and he said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to do 30-second spots during the Olympics on NBC. I'm not making infomercials on my plan on how to spread the light. He looked at people like you and me and he said, you're my plan. Your plan A, your plan B, your plan C, your plan Z. My plan is to take people who think they're playing badminton in the yard and to get them to realize they're not playing badminton in the yard. They're playing badminton in the Olympics. Their life matters. And the reason it's hard is because the default reality is night. And we're going to bring light to that reality. We're going to do that. And that's when he said that originally, he was looking at followers. And he said, you're the light of the world. Cities built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say that they may see your good deeds and think, ah, Jim is such a great guy, isn't he? No, but there's this testimony that is added to it Oh, you can, oh, I know, but you can't believe what I was like before I met Christ. Or you can't believe what God's done in my life. This, this, you know, this, this is, honestly, friend, this is not me. This is what Christ has done in my life. He brought light into a dark soul. That's, that's often all it, what it takes, but Jesus is talking about, now you go out and you live in such a way that people go, what, what, what makes you tick? You're not the same that you used to be. And you just say, you know what? I found the secret of life. Tim Timmons, one time I was listening to Tim Timmons, the author and speaker. He's, he's passed away now, but he was, I remember hearing him talk. Sharon and I were at a conference in Indianapolis, and I remember him talking. I'll never forget, he stood up, and he goes, I, I, I just want to, he, he spoke for like five minutes. He was supposed to speak for 30 minutes, but he spoke for like five minutes. He goes, I just want to tell you, I've learned the secret to life. I've learned the secret to life. Here it is. You want to learn the secret to life? And he's, he's just like, he's been five minutes, he did this, he goes, here it is, here it is, right, right, write this down. Everything works better plugged in. That's the secret to life. Is everything works better plugged in. And his whole point was, was this, is that when you connect with the light source, your life begins to take on a brightness that's not you. There is this ET-like thing that's going on in your soul. And the, the, the more you give it away, the more it starts getting brighter. It's not you working for it. It's you receiving, you hearing, let there be light. And the light starts coming in. And over a year, five, 10 years, 20 years, you look back and you go, oh my gosh. I'm not that angry kid. I'm not that angry kid anymore. I can live in such a way that it points people to the light. You see, light has a radical influence on its environment, doesn't it? Light immediately, every time, light has never been beaten by darkness. Isn't that amazing? It is undefeated against darkness. Every time a light is lit, darkness is disseminated. Every single time. For thousands of years and for thousands of years, it'll happen. And light always attracts. That's one of the reasons why the imagery of this series in my geekdom, I choose to call it romanticism, is this imagery of the bat signal is what's coming out. Is that when you, sh when you Commissioner Gordon shines the light, hey, that's saying, Batman, hey, it's time. It's time to go, you know, it's time. Do your job. And this idea that light attracts, light motivates. One of the things about church that makes it really interesting is the old adage, bugs are attracted to the light. That's why you'll find really annoying people in church because bugs are attracted to the light. 
right? Everybody, everybody, the light attracts because light always, always is undefeated against darkness, against night. It has a radical influence in an environment whether it realizes it or not. In the Message Bible, Jesus said it this way, that same passage, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of this world. Bringing out the God colors. God's not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. And if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand, and that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand. Shine. Shine. Now, now, there's a danger to this. Let me add a caveat. Because I know this happens. Where, for example, all of us introverts hear this and go, Oh, no. I've got to be more extroverted is what I'm hearing from this. And I don't want to be extroverted. I'm going to have to start singing at karaoke bars and going to more parties. And no. You see, we're all different lights. Some of you are 60-watt bulbs, soft glow. (laughs) Right? Some of you are Las Vegas strip lights. I mean, you're a party everywhere you go. The the idea is not for 60-watt soft glow bulbs to all of a sudden become Bat signals. It's what your, what's, what's your wattage? What, what, how did God make you? And how can you be that person who, you know, I, I think of this often because we have a number of uh, Starbucks baristas who have worked or, or attend here, are part of this church, Southbrookites. And, and you always hear a story from a, South, a, a Starbucks barista of a, it's like, it's a little simple thing like this, like someone who came in and they ordered their, you know, mocha latte, chata latte, and they, and they wanted two, three stevia, or two, say three Splenda, and they only got two. They only got two. And they come, the person comes back, and I ordered three Splenda in my mocha chocolata. You know, what, what, what is wrong with you, person? And you'll hear, like, the horror stories Starbucks people have can tell you about people who it's a crisis that their drink is off this morning because this legal addictive stimulant that they, they, they need so much is, oh, is wrong. And how, you know, like people who can be the person who goes, you know what, they got my order wrong. I'm going to tip them even more today. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going to, because you know what, God brought light into my life. It's this little E.T.'s finger touching the barista at Starbucks. That's where the world start change, starts changing. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. It's where the world begins to a little bit, and you're going to see this in a few weeks with, I think the creative team has a brilliant way that they're going to show you how our lights put together make us city lights. When you put all of our little lights together, we begin to have an impact that you can't imagine. And it's because of this reality. Sheldon Van Aken once said, the best argument for Christians is, for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, when they are narrow and repressive, Christianity dies a thousand deaths. That is just speaking into Jesus' plan is you. All of you backyard badminton players need to know you're in the real game. Yeah, that's right. You are in the game that your life can have an impact of every single day you have a choice. Am I going to connect to the light so that that light comes through me or am I going to, am I going to bring darkness into people's lives? Because you can. You have that power. 
So here's how. How do we do this? Well, I want to show you a few things. One is uh, our values, we just simply boil down to that if we have to tell people, what do we want you to express as a Southbrook guy? We've, we've put it a few years ago in, into an acrostic, G-R-A, G-R-E-A-T. That, and in this context, how do you have a great light? And if we could boil it down, first of all, it starts with this one, generosity. Simplest way to be a light bearer into people's lives is to be more generous than is expected. It is the simplest way. I can tell you right now, I'll guarantee you, from having done hundreds of funerals in the last 35 years, I can tell you this. There is a difference in the funeral of someone who was generous from someone who was not. I mean, you, you can almost tell. I, I, could, I could stand up at a funeral, not know the person, and go, she was generous. Because this is what you want on your epitaph. The, the, the number one characteristic of Christ is his generosity, his grace. And so the easiest way is to be crazy generous with your minutes, your mojo, and your moolah. It, it is just, that's the simplest way. Because it shows that your security is not in what you own, it's in what he's given you. Now, this is a danger because I, I, I end up being the hero of my own story here. And I know I hate it when people do that. But I got to tell you, this is how Christ has changed me. I would be one of those people who is, is, is miserly. But the big radical impact Christ had on my life is just the knowledge that I don't own anything. I'm a steward. And so one of the things I know I can do is I can be crazy generous when I write out a tip at a restaurant. It's, that's just one thing I can do is just I... I can be, and knowing that if I'm eating there, I need that money less than the person who's working there. Okay, I can just pretty safely conclude that. If I can afford to eat there, so this week we were at Cheesecake Factory uh, celebrating our daughter in law Mackenzie's birthday, and we eat there a couple times a month. That's Sherry's favorite place to go to. We are tithers to Cheesecake Factory, is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> Uh, and so we, we've gotten to know a number of the servers on a first-name basis. And so we get done, and I write out what for me is a radically generous tip. And it's, I, I, do, I do that, and I, I know some of the, tith- uh, the, the servers there, and I want to, to show them, hey, you know, we, we believe in you guys. So we're leaving the restaurant. We go out the exit of Cheesecake Factory at the Green, and we're walking around the block to our car, and the server comes running out the door and he intercepts us and he just looks at me. He goes, Charlie, you don't have to do that every time. I said, I know. I said, I get to. And I gave him, you know, he know, I gave him my spiel. I said, hey, you know, hey, if you're working there, you need that more than I need that. And he goes, I know, but you don't have to do that. And I said, Stephen, I get to do that because God has freely blessed my life. I can freely give knowing that there's nothing I want to be known for more than generosity. And I, I say that because that's not me. That's the light of Christ in me. Now, Sherry, she looks at that, that tip and she goes, what are you doing? Because she's stingy and miserly and she's not as nice as you think she is. What about reconciliation? Oh my gosh, does our world need this? Where you're the person who... Who you, you don't create divisions. You're the person who has a spirit of reconciliation. That you're always looking, as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers because people will look at them and say, you look like God. 
You have, the, you, you have the characteristics of your heavenly father. That's what he said. He said, you'll be called sons and daughters of God. What if you're the person who has a spirit of reconciliation? Now, nothing will dim your life like being miserly. If there's anything, it's being a bitter, resentful person. You, you want to you put a dimmer switch on your life? That'll do it. Uh, you want to go dark? Hold on to resentment and insecurity and bitterness and say, those damn Democrats, those damn Republicans, those, you know, just, go, just say that. Just say that. Just cuss and say that. You're just inviting darkness into your life. It's just the greatest way to do it. And reconciliation, easy way when you can say, hey, let's, let's work through this. Let's work through this. What about excellence? Always doing more than is expected. John Wooden once said, make every day your masterpiece. When you do that, there's something, especially if you're in an environment of mediocrity, people start going, what, what is it about you that makes you tick? What about authenticity? I'm gonna get to this more in a moment. But there is something so transparently light-bearing about a person who doesn't have to hide anymore. And again, I'll close with this in a moment because it's so critical. And what about someone who manages the truth well? You know, if you're a Christian and you are right, you are so dangerous. Because no one in this world sins more than a Christian who is right and knows it. I mean, we, but when you take someone who has a security in the truth of Christ and they deal that with gentleness and grace and respect and they don't use it as a hammer. They use the truth as a healing agent. It's just, it just brings light to an environment. And we've seen people who are just shining the light in people's faces and it's obtrusive and it's offensive. But people who go, you know what, let me, let me ask questions. Let me, let me have dialogue because they're gentle with the truth. They speak the truth in love. They bring light into every office, every, every classroom, every competitive field, every neighborhood. Now, you can decide whether you want these to be things that you go, let the light shine into my life. It's your choice. Now, here's the question with this. If, for example, you want this, you say, well, why is it that everybody doesn't want this? Well, first of all, every light has to connect to a source outside itself. So first of all, we don't have, our default setting is darkness. We, whether you realize it or not, this sin entity, this night reality where, where night comes in is our default setting. So it takes humility, it takes surrender to say, let there be light. I, I'm gonna let the light in. But there's something else. That what comes with that is a tendency to hide. You see, it's what our church is about. I, I was raised in a shame-based family, so I get this. That here's, here's America. If you want to know America, it's a bunch of people who know just enough about religion to want to be in the light and to be included in the light, but I still want to hide. I don't want to be known. I don't want to authentically face who I am. And this is what shame does. Shame causes us to hide. You think it's just because your personality is certain. It's not. It's about it's shame. And so Jesus spoke to this. Look at what he said in John 3. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. 
What? I mean, why? Well, they went for the darkness because they're not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anyone working and living in truth and reality comes, welcomes God light so the work can be seen for what it is, and that is the God work. And so the, the, the biggest step you will take in your life that will set you free is the step from darkness and semi-darkness into light. That's the biggest step you will take. On August 29th is Big Splash Weekend. For many of you, that step into baptism is this step. You're kind of here. Remember when you were a kid and you were playing hide and seek and, and after a while they couldn't find you, you hid so well that you stuck a leg out? Like, I'm, I'm, like they've lost me. They, they've lost me. And you kind of stuck a leg out so you'd be found. Well, a lot of people in churches are doing this. Right? Can somebody find me? And the biggest step you'll take is when, in, especially at baptism, you go, I'm bringing my life into the light. I'm entering into service and support. That's what City Lights is about, is giving people that chance to take that step into light. It's a courageous step. I I fight, as a shame-based person in recovery, I constantly fight the desire to just want to stay in the dark. And so Jesus said, this is the big step you'll take in your life. John took that, and in his first letter, he mirrored that language, and look what he said to us. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. And the idea here is that I'm a Christian, but I'm still in the dark. I'm still hidden. Shame still really has control over my life. But if we walk In the light, God himself being that light, we also experience a shared life with one another. As the sacrificed blood of Jesus, God's son, purges all our sins. So in other words, the blood of Christ has taken all reason for us to stay in the dark because we're all sin-stained. We all need grace. We all have our fill-in-the-blank things that are default darkness night settings. And now, oh my gosh, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everybody needs light that will rescue us from the default night. Why not step in? And we want to give you that invitation in this series to do just that. We want to show you in this series how solitude is where you experience the light. How scripture is where you examine the light. How service is where you express the light. How uh, support is where you exchange the light with other light bearers and how significant events are how you expand the light in your life and other people. And if you will listen with an open soul, no matter where you are, some of you have been Christ followers for 40 years and you need need this series because you're stuck. Some of you are ready for baptism and you need this series because you gotta take that next step. It's the first step really of stepping into the light And simply hearing these words, darkness was hovering over my life, and then I heard God say what? Let there be light. And there was? There was light. Let's pray. Father, there's just this constant creep of the default setting of night. It's just there for all of us. Some of us are in the night of depression and drug use and secret 
thoughts that are controlling us. But if we'll step into the light, the night loses its power. And this, I pray, is what this series results in, is a bunch of, really all of us, all of us saying in our own way, I have learned the secret is to connect to the light of the world and I'm going to step into that light. I'm going to let my light shine at Starbucks, on the baseball fields, in the office, in my neighborhood. We are going to be generous, reconciliatory, excellent, authentic, truth-bearing people who make Dayton a better place as our lights come together to make city lights. And I pray this, that would today, if there is anyone who has heard these words, let there be light. That there was light. In the name of the light of the world, our hope, our master, our source, we pray. And everybody who agreed with this said, amen. We'll see you next week, everybody, for part two.